This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. This is a podcast from The Times, sports newspaper of the year. Hello, I'm Gab Marcotti, and welcome to The Game, the football supplement from The Times in audio form, in case you hadn't figured it out. Joining me today are Clive Petty, Matt Hughes, and a special guest from the U.S. of A., largely because David Beckham was not available, it's our old buddy, Tom Dart. Later on, we'll be discussing the rise of MLS and David Beckham's part in that, but we start with another eventful weekend in the Premier League. All right, Reading and Manchester United. Uh, Clive, you're a purist. Um, yeah, you know, you're, you're joking. You're not a purist. You don't see yourself that way. Seven goals in, in, in the first half. Is this good or just terrible? Assuming you're above the age of eight, it kind of depends what your standpoint is. I guess if you're if you're a Reading fan on uh, on Saturday, uh, seven goals would have been great stuff, I suppose. And you would have thought we've scored three times against you know Manchester United. This but they could have conceded stuff. five, Hughesy. Right? I mean, well, I mean, this this is bad. Good. I think it's good, you know. As Clive says, if you're a Reading fan, you've probably got more out of the game than you would have expected. If you're a United fan, you've got three points. If you're a neutral, you've seen a great game of football. So, what are we moaning about? Obviously, if you're a great game of football, well, you said great thirty-two minutes. Well, why? Well, so I'm sorry. Well, what is one defensive mistake after another? And I'm talking at both ends here because I think Reading's defending was terrible as well. Well, if you didn't want to watch that, you should have just watched the rerun of the 2003 Champions League final. You know, I mean, what, what do we want? We, we watch football to see goals and entertainment and skill. Obviously, mistakes facilitate that, but I don't think we should be. Uh, yeah, you saw a lot of skill in that game. Yeah, I saw Michael Carrick play some good balls. I saw Van Persie score good goals. I saw Anderson running inside the channels. Obviously, defending from set pieces was pretty, uh, pretty average. But um, you know, most people would rather watch that than uh, a nil-nil draw. Tom, um, help me out here. Can you tell, explain to Hughesy why he's wrong? Oh, well, he, uh, he's not wrong, is he? Um, the only the only thing about this game that's disappointing, the only thing that's disappointing about this game is the second half. You know, after seven goals in the first half, you kind of feel a bit cheated that you don't get another seven in the second half. You know, I hate these games where they're so good in the first half, then half time comes and you're really buzzing and you're looking forward to the second half, and it, it's a bit of a letdown. Um, it's kind of the wrong way around, but. Uh, 
Uh, it, it's good to be uh, you know, talking about football after after all the uh, Premier League's uh, issues off the, off the pitch. It's good to be discussing goals, you know. I, I don't think it's good to be discussing these goals, and I think y'all are absolutely insane to think that this is good. Um, because, and, and I say this because I know Manchester United can play a lot better, um, and I suspect Reading can play better as well. And you know, it, but hey, that's just me. Let's move on from that. I accept. I'm in the minority. Your country, your game, your rules. Um, but uh, uh, Clive, I want to get to you. Uh, much was made when he, he takes off Rafael. After half an hour, uh, I presume it's maybe partly because he got skinned, um, partly because well, Evans made some horrible mistakes too, but I guess Rafael's smaller than Evans and they, they were worried about set pieces and whatever. Um, psychologically, we don't really see that often. I'm guessing Sir Alex has a lot of faith in Rafael's ability to bounce back and this won't totally crush him? Yeah, I, I hope so, yeah. I mean, it, it, it can be. I can understand his uh, frustration when he walked. I mean, nobody, after half an hour, especially when, as you say, you've been skinned, your team has let in. I can't remember whether it was after the two or three goals now when he went off, but he's obviously taking it as a sort of, hey, the manager's hanging me out as I'm the one to blame here. Um, and Kind of, he would, that's exactly what happened, though, right? I mean, he wouldn't have substituted him if he thought, well, oh, it's not Rafael's fault. We're doing great with him. But no, well, no, but he perhaps can take him off because in order to make, in making that change, he can bring somebody else on to facilitate a change around the rest of the back four. In that, uh, I think it was Smalling who came on, wasn't it? So Smalling can come into the middle and you can move Evans, who, as you say, is a bit bigger, perhaps. Uh, I'm not quite sure what happened, but... You can make a change without actually saying it's specifically that guy's fault if you want to change your system. Um, but that doesn't help the player, I must admit. At the time, I can understand. Raphael Young, impetuous, he sees it as, my God, I'm being, play- I'm being blamed for the failures of the entire back four here in front of, well, actually, only 20,000 people at Reading, but you know what I mean. Um, uh, so I can understand the, the sort of frustration of the player. But, uh, yeah, as long as afterwards, we don't know what happens afterwards, back in the dressing room, back at Old Trafford, that's down to what Fergie now tells him and says, look, we needed to do that for the sake of that game. Uh, nothing on you, just that. It was just that half an hour. Get over it, come back, work hard, do it, you know, get, get yourself back in the team. Excuse me, one thing I want to ask you about, and I'll throw this out to everybody if you guys saw this. Um, Rafael goes off, there's the bit with the coat. But then there's this guy, I, I, I'm assuming it's the kit man or some kind of servant who, for United, who picks up the coat and kind of throws it over Raphael's head as he's walking off. Did, did you guys see this? Yeah, that was Albert, Albert the kit man, wasn't it? What, 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 what kind of a zoo did he escape from? I, mean, I just thought, like, can you be any, any sort of more disrespectful and... And I mean, I'm sorry. I, I hope that he's like Raphael's dad, and they've got some kind of special relationship where he can go and do this. But I, I imagine if that had been Joey Barton, or in fact, not even Joey Barton, a, a normal, uh, uh, you know, less um, patient footballer, would have turned around and and nutted him, right? I think he's sort of one of Fergie's uh, enforcers, and he was probably acting on behalf of the manager you know getting, get back in your box sort of thing but yeah if you were a bigger name player you certainly wouldn't have uh, well, you think Fergie yeah. told this guy no he, would, no he wouldn't have told him to but he's this this kit man is quite sort of old school he would certainly side with the manager as opposed to any player in any uh, 
you know, any potential confrontation. So yeah, I'm sure he was acting for his own bat, but yeah, it did, did look a bit, uh, you know, it looked like he should have been bundling him out of a knife. But he <laughs> exactly. was quite, quite, Albert... heavy, quite heavy-handed <laughs> stewarding, as, as, did, as they say. Does Albert have a last name too, or is he like Madonna or Liberace? Or... I think he does, but I don't know it. All right. Um, just, just curious here. Now, um, <clears throat> I want to have a, a word on, on United's defending and, and, and in general because. One of the things that, that struck me was we seem to see this. I, I was watching on television. You've got Jason Roberts and then Evra and then, um, and then the goalkeeper, uh, Lindegaard. And it's the kind of thing where, like, Roberts is, like, leaning into Evra and the referee sees it and they're going. And every time he goes and pushes. And I'm just wondering, Tom, um, since Allison's not here, you, you, you're the closest that we have to uh, um, a proper referee. I don't understand. Not very close. <laughs> but closer than the rest of us. But if you see this happening, well, why not go and just book somebody? Because you know, like, the minute the guy looked away, they did it again. Yeah. Yeah, I, I can't explain what was going through Mark Halsey's mind, but... Uh, you know, few people yeah, can. Up, well, then, riddle me it's this. Up, it's, up to the players to, it's up to the players to draw attention to... Um, to him at every occasion when that happens and really get in his face and remind him of it so he's looking for it. You know what was bizarre about that is I was talking to a, um, a Premier League goalkeeper last night. Um, you can guess which one. And uh, he made the point that in those situations, right, when they send the striker up and then uh, basically to disturb the, the goalkeeper, if you defend it by putting a defender between striker and goalkeeper and the two push each other, Unless you've got a very big, strong uh, defender who can manhandle the, the striker, which obviously Evra isn't, what's going to happen is the striker will push the defender into the goalkeeper. The easy way to, to deal with it is just put your defender in front of the striker. Because obviously, if Roberts goes and pushes the goalkeeper the way he pushed Evra, it will be a foul every single time. And, and this seemed pretty basic to me, and I'm wondering if... I know goalkeepers in United, except for the Schmeichel and Van der Sar eras, have always been an issue. But um, I'm wondering, Clive, should it have been Lindegaard's job or, or Evra, since he's a senior player, to kind of not well, defend in this idiotic way? I kind of guess Especially if the referee is letting Roberts just kind of like bulldoze Evra into Lindegaard. A goalkeeper should be taking. I tend to think a goalkeeper should be taking command of his six-yard area there. That's his space. And not only that, I think goalkeepers get enough protection anyway. There's nothing to say if Roberts finds a space and stands there and stands his ground. There's nothing. Why, why the hell should he move? You know, it's up to Lindegaard. He's to, pushing Evra into because the referee is allowing him to push Evra into Lindegaard. Well, then, as you say, the referee's allowing that. You know, that's down to the referee. I mean, if you start giving that, nothing stops. It's that same old argument of shirt pulling or whatever. Everyone says, well, you know, there seems to be this argument that uh, that uh, if you give every incident of this or there'll be loads of penalties every week or free kicks every week, well, it's a foul, isn't it? That's what, the, And the punishment for a foul is a free kick or a penalty. You're supposed to give them. It's down to the referee. You know, what do you, what do you want if... If Roberts is pushing Ever and it's deemed a foul, that's a foul. If Lindegaard stand, doesn't want Ever standing there, I presume he wants Ever standing there. To, to protect him from, from big, bad Jason I Roberts. I presume so. And if, he, and if it's getting in the way, then Lindegaard's got to say, no, look, I can handle myself. It's my six-yard box. Hughie, can you, can you explain something else about this, the United goalkeeper situation? I, so they spent a lot of money on De Gea. In fact, I believe they make him the second most expensive goalkeeper in the history of the universe. He has a rough start at the season. Fergie sticks with him. This year, I thought he was actually playing pretty well. 
And now it seems that we have this sort of revolving door goalkeeping situation between him and Lindegaard, which I, I could kind of see the logic if Lindegaard were Brad Friedel, you know, some sort of wise old guy who's going to be out of the way soon. But, um, but Lindegaard isn't. Lindegaard's, what, 27, 28 years old? Uh, and he's also not that good. Um, what's going on with De Gea? Why won't he play De Gea? No, I agree with you. It doesn't make a great deal of sense. De Gea has been getting better, and from what I've seen, Lindegaard's been getting a bit worse. He was certainly pretty pretty jittery at the weekend. And um, as you say, he's only, what, five years older, so he hasn't, he hasn't got that much more first-team experience because he's been you know, been at White United large on the bench. Um, so, yeah, it doesn't make a great deal of sense. I can only assume that De Gea hasn't shown up in training. Fergie sort of questioned his temperament maturity before maybe he thinks he's not quite ready and um, is hand-picking his games I, um, Tom word on Reading because I, I was kind of shocked at the way they, they, they came up last year um, I've seen them play this year I, I actually think that yeah, at least from what I have seen and Reading fans please don't jump all over me but man for man I think they are the worst team in the Premier League by some margin. I know QPR have fewer points, and I know that there's other sort of stinky teams near the bottom. Um, am I completely wrong on this? Are, are they? Am I, am I being too hard? Have they actually maybe done better than expected by the fact that they're not bottom and actually, you know, are what double figures in points or close to it? Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> I think so. If you look at the uh, look at their lineup, it, it, it is a, a championship lineup. Um, yeah. How many players? When you look at you know, yeah, Justin Roberts obviously has Premier League experience. Um, yeah, Federici yeah, is terrible. It's not go there. Is, is yes, exactly. Um, McEnough is always one of these players who's kind of borderline Premier League quality. Shorey, Nicky Shorey, Pogrebniak. I mean, yeah, you, I mean he, he, he's done not bad. He's got five goals. Yeah, Lafondre is a good story. Um, yeah, we've, we've got four goals, respectable. You do have to say that uh, you know it's not a huge surprise that if anyone wants in the league this Ooh. season with a lineup that is going to battle hard and uh, you know try and uh, all these cliches, but just doesn't have the quality to. Uh, to stay up, I, I would think. So well, I think they've done well to get to have, uh, you know, to have nine points at this stage. Husey, uh, in, in, in light of this, I mean, you, you're close personal friends with, with Zingarevich, the, uh, the the Russian oligarch who, of course, bankrolls um, Reading. Um, why is he? Why has he not put more money in, or is he just kind of happy to have, you know, Reading work with with somewhat limited resources, and um, you know, and he's got no intention of, of being kind of like a, a mini Abramovich. No, he hasn't. But I think I think they are going to spend some money in um, January. There's suggestions of a bid for Arshavin, which you could argue would be wasting a lot of money. Although he tends to play quite well when he moves to clubs and then sit and take the money. Um, I think McDermott wanted to give the players who got up a chance, to be honest. And so far he's done that with, with mixed results. But I do expect um, some reinforcements in January and they're going to need them. Moving east from uh, Reading to Upton Park, which uh, I believe is maybe what a journey that's maybe about 45 miles, 50 miles, yeah, but probably takes you several days in, uh, day, on days like this one when it's raining and everybody forgets how to drive. Um, but West Ham, um, can we show them some, some respect and go beyond the, oh, Big Sam lumping big balls to the, to, to, to the big man up front? Um, 
they're right up there in the table. I mean, he spent some money, but he's obviously spent it wisely. Um, Clive, you were arguing recently that uh, Sam Allardyce was the greatest manager England has produced in the last 30 years. Um, <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Was I, I was going right. to say, was that, how many jinxes did I have when yeah. I said that? <laughs> no, hey, Clive, is, is there more to West Ham than, than, than lumping balls? Hey, there's actually an organization, and you know, they go, and in the second half, they showed a lot of spirit, and, and yeah, there is more, the there European is, champion. <clears throat> there is more to West Ham than that, yes. But, I mean, um, ironically, I think, actually, it may well have been the lumping balls of the big man that actually turned this game around, as far as I can see. Um, you know, it was the high balls of the likes of Cole and the knockdowns that kind of worked. But, yeah, it is hard to, um, having watched them, uh, seen them a few times this season, it is hard to just say they are a, a, you know, a straight, long ball, direct team. There is more to them. I mean, Nolan uh, gets forward quite a lot and is, and is quite pivotal to that team. Uh, uh, and the work that Noble does, uh, it's pointless having those players if you are just going to lump balls forward. Um, it was a strange turnaround in that game, though, it has to be said, because Chelsea was so much on top in the first half. It's hard to think that just one sort of tactical switch of just getting behind and getting those balls to the big men was enough to outdo a team that is the European champions. I think that's quite worrying from their point of view. I don't think West Ham did anything particularly... They didn't come up with some mind-boggling plan, uh, a managerial brilliance from Allardyce to win that game. And then that's, uh, you know, not taking anything away from West Ham, but it certainly would worry me if I was Chelsea. Hey, Tom, um, was it... Did you agree with Clive? Was it a case of just uh, West Ham being... Sorry, Chelsea just being good at first and then terrible and, and really West Ham had nothing to do with it or little to do with it? Uh, I think it was a case of West Ham sensing Chelsea's vulnerability um, in the second half and making the most of it with a couple of decent finishes and also uh, Mata hitting the post with a free kick that had that been uh, a couple of inches the other way the game uh, could well have turned out very differently I think uh, got to give West Ham credit because uh, they did go behind uh, and did uh, did come back they they weren't they weren't cowed or, or steamrolled by Chelsea after that, and uh, uh, not that West Ham were fantastic, but uh, they, they did enough to take advantage of Chelsea's uh, Chelsea's struggles, and uh, I think uh, that comes with a certain degree of confidence that comes from Allardyce picking solid players and managing them well. This doesn't look like a Rafa. Benitez team. I mean, I think even people who, who hate him would recognize that certainly at Valencia and, and at Liverpool, admittedly less so at Inter, you know, this was a kind of team that had two solid center backs, uh, solid defensive midfield. I mean, you think back, you know, people who knew how to, how to administer leads and, and hit on the counter if they needed to and uh, knew how to slow the game down. I'm thinking, you know, Xabi Alonso, of course, and, and, and Jared and, and Mascherano and you know that great Hupia-Carragher partnership. This Chelsea team in the second half, they didn't know how to really do that at all. And Rafa came out and said, "Well, it would have been better if we were two and uh, two or three nil up. It would have been easier to uh, to protect the lead." And I kind of feel like, "Oh yeah, really, Rafa? Um, is this just because he hasn't had time to work with these guys, or are they not suited to playing that way?" Well, the, the bottom line is we don't know and we may never know because he may never get the time because he's the manager of Chelsea and they just don't get time. I think you make a very good point. It's not Rafa's team and it could never be Rafa's team. He's had three games, maybe ten training sessions to work with them um, and he can't, you know, drill them, discipline them, school them in the rigorous manner that he would like over that period. 
Rory Smith made a good point in the Times in the game this morning. He was at the game on Saturday. He was pointing out that when these players have had so many managers over the last whatever five years, two years, they're not really anyone to them. They don't know what, what they're doing. And a lot of them came from under Mourinho, and then they've had Grant and Scolari and Hineke and Chilotti and Di Matteo and Villas Boas, and every six months it seems there's a sort of sea change in the way that the manager read the owner wants to come to play on Di Matteo they were defensive last year then they've become free-flowing and attacking now they scored too many goals they were victims too many goals so they've tried to go back and leave away and, and they're, they're confused right? I don't think they know what they're doing and it's going to take a, a long time for them to um, develop a coherent game plan and all that goes down can be traced back to sort of the, the trigger happy tendencies of, of the owner and his, his incredible lack of patience uh, Tom, but the good news is that uh, Rafa could be getting some help. There's reports today that that Avram Grant is on uh, is, is on standby and he could come in to uh, to help. Yeah, Rafa must be absolutely thrilled. Um, you know, as coaches won the Champions League, I'm sure he's really going to appreciate uh, the help of a guy who got West Ham uh, relegated. All right, all right, I got to jump in here, okay? I appreciate it's open season on Avram Grant, and we all have to make fun of the guy always and everywhere. But, yeah, Rafa won a Champions League on penalties. Uh, Avram Grant came within a penalty kick of winning a Champions League. Avram Grant was took over a team that uh, your god Mourinho had in sixth place and took it up to second place. Avram Grant did took Portsmouth to an FA Cup final, right? Is Avram uh, Grant we're, just we're, all bad and like and incompetent? Was that Avram or, or basically the players? You know, I didn't really see Avram do much managing other than just picking. Oh picking come on! What? Wait, but how much? I'm sorry. How much managing do you see Sir Alex do? Do you do? You, do you attend his training sessions? Or sorry, Dominic Kinnear in your case? <laughs> Sometimes Dominic Kinnear, I do. Yeah. <laughs> now and again. Um, but uh, no, I think uh, it, it, this is an extraordinary story um, and would be. Uh, you know, ridiculous if it happens because then you're affecting adding. You're kind of adding another manager to Chelsea. You know, uh, but what if he's just there to, to to be the owner's eyes and ears and just spy on the work Rafa's doing? Wouldn't that be beneficial? Make, that just makes it work. <laughs> but Rafa's not paranoid at all, right? He's such a well-adjusted, confident man <laughs> that he, no, it's, it's great. And he's unveiling ten days ago, eleven days ago. Rafa claimed that working for Roman would be easy compared to working with Hicks and Gillette and because he was answering to one man and there's no conflict and he knew exactly what his job was after three games <laughs> if you're already talking about having Abraham sat on his shoulder it's absolutely extraordinary I don't think it will happen I think Abraham could come in but if he does it will be as a replacement for Benitez not as a helper unwanted or otherwise um what, what a, you can't make it up. What, 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 a, what a club and what a management structure. It's absolutely extraordinary. Matt, you, you cover Chelsea quite closely. You, you've spoken, you speak to these people, the, the Tenenbaums and Schwidlers and um, Emanalos and, you know, this whole cloud of people. I, I don't know, is Pete DeVisser still with us or is he, has he moved on? He didn't seem to be as influential as he, as he was, and he certainly isn't involved okay. in managerial training. He's more scouts the players. Now, uh, all these people, right? Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. 
Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Who, who surround him. And, and I'm, I'm leaving Bruce Buck out of it because I don't think Bruce Buck offers Roman any advice on football, though maybe he should because he's been a season ticket holder at Chelsea for, for, for what, 30-odd years and has seen the good, the bad, and the ugly. But... Can you can you tell us? Can you, can you have any insight on on how this works? Uh, does, does does he still text Mourinho for for, for advice? Uh, well, he's certainly in contact with Mourinho, but I don't think the relationship is as friendly as some claim, and I don't buy the theory that he will one day make a glorious return to Stamford Bridge. Abramovich, it's, it's hard to explain. It's hard to understand, but he, there is no real formal management structure that you would get at a normal football club or any other big company he sort of takes advice from various friends confidants advisors as and when he sees fit and the problem with all these kind of shadowy courtiers is they tend to tell him what he wants to hear um, so the so advice he... is compromised the people he seems to be close to at the moment are Eugene Tenenbaum who is is one of his oldest business associates stroke friends they go you know, they go back 20 years to the Soviet days and then, interestingly, Michael Emanalo seems to have made himself indispensable. Michael Emanalo, former Nigerian international, no management coaching experience to speak of, other than in briefly working for a girls' team in Tucson in the States. But he was brought to Chelsea by Abram Grant um, and has managed to kind of stick, stick it out ever since. They're missing a link between the manager and Roman. Uh, on the board, and that's that's a big problem because he, he's, he's not getting good advice, is he? Just, yeah, that, he's, not, he's not making good decisions. I just have a quick, just a quick yay or nay, uh, Clive. You're very impartial on this one. More likely to be in the Champions League next season, Chelsea or Spurs? Um, at this moment in time, I, I I'd like to say Tottenham. I really would like to say Tottenham. Um, they're, they, for once in a while, they just seem to be a bit more stable, even with AVB in, in control. Just okay, that's enough Tottenham talk for the show. Um, <laughs> a yay or nay question, Tom? Yay, the revenge of AVB. Husey? 
I say Chelsea for the simple reason that whether it's Dodger Sanya or Barnett winning the Champions League, Spurs will always find a way to cock it up. <laughs> uh, uh, on, on that note, just one final, final thing from you, Husey. Um Chelsea are not mathematically out of the Champions League if uh, Shakhtar Donetsk and Juventus don't agree to an almighty stitch-up and uh, Luchescu beats uh, the Italian side. Luchescu, of course, who lived in Italy and speaks Italian, has a home in Italy. Um, and Chelsea pummel Nordschilland. Um, Chelsea could go through. Uh, that can happen? It could, could happen. Shakhtar at home, uh, you know, very, very good side. I expect Chelsea to beat Nordschilland at home. Um, and then it's just up over to the, the game in Donetsk and Shakhtar could could win that and they've got an incentive they they want to win the group why um, why would you want to win the group I and mean, wouldn't you rather knock Chelsea out than win the group um I don't know not the current Chelsea you'd probably rather play Chelsea than Juventus yeah also if they draw the game if they draw if they draw they win the group anyway right uh, yeah you're right actually aren't you uh, I don't know well they might they might they might win all right, thank you. All right, um, we didn't just have Tom Dart on because he's uh, one of our favorite past contributors, um, but we also had him on because uh, David Beckham ended his uh, five years and change long stint in, um, in MLS um, by helping the Los Angeles Galaxy win uh, the second uh, MLS Cup of his tenure. Uh, it's a 3-1 win over the Houston Dynamo. I... Tom, I'm assuming, I don't know, maybe I'm the only Sado who watched this game, even though it was up against uh, the Madrid Derby and Match of the Day as well, and, and Phil Neville. Um, but I don't want to talk too much about the game, but one thing that struck me was interesting was was a score 2-1 up. Uh, Houston, uh, sorry, um, LA get a penalty. It's a chance to put the game away. It's so late in the game. Houston kind of... I don't, I don't think it was that good anyway. Uh, and I don't like the way Kinnear plays. but um, And yet, it's not Beckham who takes the penalty. It's Robbie Keane. Robbie Keane won the penalty, incidentally. Um, did that surprise you? It, it, it did surprise me because Beckham appeared to be kind of walking into the penalty area and kind of lurking, waiting to see if Robbie Keane was going to say, here you go, Bex, you, know, you take it. You have the iconic moment to end the game and you, you go off you know, sprinting and towards the crowd cheering, uh, uh, celebrating the goal. So, But Robbie Keane yeah, didn't look at Beckham and didn't appear to have any interest in giving up the penalty. Uh, Maybe he didn't know it was Beckham's last game. Is that possible? Uh, every, I think everyone... <laughs> Uh, everyone outside America knew it was Beckham's last game, at least. I'm not sure in America. Um, uh, but Beckham said afterwards that he, he, he actually himself had no intention of taking it and he was happy for King to take it. And he, he discussed it with, with Landon Donovan, who was too tired to take it. Um, so uh, you know, Beckham is at least sticking to the line that he didn't want to take it. Uh, it would have been nice, uh, but uh, Keane has been in great form lately, so it's not surprising that he, he himself wanted to crap, cap an excellent season for him with the... Uh, the crowning glory of a last-minute penalty. Now, uh, Tom, much was made of when he came over. I think there were some, you know, frankly absurd premises, like the idea that he was going to make uh, $50 million a year, uh, something which I think we in the media were all pretty remiss at not calling them on that and sort of believing this lie which had just been made up. Um, but And he was supposed to be the messiah who elevated MLS. There was a moment when I think he was genuinely disliked by, by a number of people. Um, 
But all told, MLS has made huge strides in the last five years, probably football in general, hasn't it? And, and how yeah. much of that's down to, to, to Beckham? It's hard to quantify absolutely how much is under Beckham. Clearly, the LA Galaxy themselves have benefited hugely from Beckham uh, in terms of getting a much better TV deal, much better international exposure, more, more shirt sales, of course. Um, the league has benefited because you have players of the caliber of Thierry Henry coming to New York. You have Beckham probably going to be replaced by Kakar. Uh, in LA, uh, it's now a more credible destination for you know still over 30 players uh, who are towards the end of their career, but at least you know very much elite, aging players. Uh, how much benefit has this had to you know the, the Columbus Crew or the the Vancouver Whitecaps? Uh, usually, when Beckham uh, goes goes to away games, they sell out, so there's a bit of benefit there. There's a bit more credibility. Uh, Overall, MLS has grown from 12 teams uh, five or six years ago to 19, uh, and so crowds have gone up. But uh, it still doesn't have the penetration. uh, There's a a rising number of people who care a lot about it, but that number is still relatively small when you think of America being a country of more than 310 million people. And uh, although LA has now got an improved TV deal, uh, overall the TV deal for the league is $10 million each year, which is about £6.5 million a year for national TV rights for MLS, which is paltry and way below the Premier League rights, uh, uh, which have just been signed. So It's about one-eighth of the uh, Premier League rights. Exactly, exactly. So, unless, so you know, the, the LAE Dodgers themselves, their TV rights are going to be worth, you know, you're talking billions of dollars just locally. And until you have that TV rights uh, explosion when TV rights are go up and up and up, you can't, MLS can't afford to pay a lot of good players to come, so you just have occasional, you, know, you have a Beckham and an Henri and a Keane in the glamour franchises, but you don't have real top quality players throughout the league, it's just uh, isolated pockets, and that's because although crowds have gone up, TV money is still paltry and TV audiences are, are still very small. Usually, I, Beckham now, there's going to be speculation um, about his future. Um, there inevitably is. Uh, and it seems, obviously, everybody's you know, chiming in. Australia, China, exotic places, uh, uh, Paris Saint-Germain, QPR to play with Harry, Monaco. Um, if you were, or, or maybe just buying a franchise and being an owner and uh, in, in, in staying in the U.S., um, We'll, we'll find out from Tom what he's going to do, since Tom knows, because he's in the U.S. But before that, um, excuse me, if you, were, uh, if you were Beckham's people, what would you su- suggest he does? If you, I think a few things are important for Beckham about his, regarding his next move, and the checklist is as follows. It's got to be a nice place. I don't see him going to live um, in Anzi, for example. It's got to be a big project, or they can brand it as a project. And I think it's got to, you know, be be an element of, of glamour involved. So somewhere like Monaco, um, you know, Sydney possibly, one of the big cities in China. I don't. He's not going to be much of the Premier League. He'll say the right things and be flattered and sort of, you know, encourage the speculation. But he's not going to come play for QPR. Why not? Um, There's a chance to play with Harry. He's all, well, he had the chance to play with Harry last year and, and it didn't didn't take it uh, when Harry was at Tottenham and he trained there. Um, he's always said he doesn't want to play for Liverpool over the Man United and I, I, I kind of believe him, frankly. 
Uh, he wanted he wanted to have played in the Premier League. He's had countless opportunities to do so earlier in his career. Also, I think it suits him to be slightly um, to be playing at a slightly lower level, away from the intense scrutiny he'd get over here. Um, I mean, Tom would tell you tell be a far better judge than I'm at the moment about how good he is and how well he's playing and the standard of the opponent he's up against. But I don't think at the age of 37 he's really um, going to be good enough to, to be playing regularly in the Premier League. Uh, Tom, um floor is yours to tell us, uh, to answer Hughes's questions and tell us what you, you, you reckon will happen. I'm going to throw in my two cents about Monaco, um, which is that I think it's more a case of Monaco are owned by a very wealthy Russian who's actually wealthier than uh, uh, Abramovich, according to what you read on the internet, when, of course, the internet never lies. And I think he just wanted to meet David Beckham and chat with him. Um, I don't see him going playing. The French second division is just a bunch of guys running around kicking lumps out of each other. I don't think it's a, it's a great place uh, for him to be. Um, that's just my own two cents on the Monaco option. W- what are you hearing and what do you reckon will happen? Yeah, well, Beckham himself doesn't seem to know where he's going. He hasn't had any really concrete, uh, certain offers yet. He said he's going to make a decision by Christmas, uh, so he's got a couple of weeks for uh, to actually get these offers. Um, it may, may be that Australia is the uh, the most interested place to have him, and he couldn't. Uh, the season ends in February, March there, so he could just play for a couple of months there and then go somewhere else, you know, maybe do some kind of Asian tour where he's still incredibly popular. Um, but uh, as Susie says, Premier League isn't right for him. He's done well in MLS this season, but that's because he's been stepping back, playing the quarterback role and, you know, rather than running forward because he can't really run anymore, he's finding space um, away from goal, back down the pitch and then playing long balls. Um, if anyone marks him, you know, he's much less effective and, and he hasn't got the the drive and the energy to get to get around that so just all you have to do is close him down which is going to be no problem in a very physical league like the Premier League uh, he, he's uh, and I think this is why although clubs top clubs you know have been very nice to him praising him and kind of expressing interest in a sense they're not going to follow through with that um, in the cold light of day now that he is available so he may have to uh, uh, settle somewhere fairly far away from what looks like is going to be his base in West London, uh, and it's be interesting to see if he really wants to do that, and if he really has got the stomach to you know, to, to go to Australia or, or China where he could earn a fortune. When what he seems like he, what he really wants to do is be in Europe. All right, time now for some quick hits. Clive, Jermaine Defoe scores another two as Spurs roll over Fulham. Don't think anyone expected him to be quite this prolific. Um, will he keep it up? And if so, what happens to Adebayor? Yeah, um, remarkable run of form for uh, the little guy. Um, and to be honest, yeah, let, well, I, I especially hope he keeps it up by uh, next Sunday. We know you hope it, but will he? Yeah, I, I think he's he's enjoying his football. He's, he's actually he's looking sparkling. He looks like he's going to score every time he gets the ball. Uh, he's he's thriving in this four-two-three-one uh, setup, and I think it's important actually that uh, the likes of with Dembele and Sandro uh, and Dempsey. Uh, their their um, contributions to that team and that setup is is vital and I think he's thriving off that. And he looks like he's going to score every time he gets the ball uh, and I think he can, I think he can thrive in it. Yes, as for Adebayor, he's only got himself to blame for him not being in the um, team at the moment. And as long as he can, um, you know, when he comes back, I mean, actually I think he's going on to the African Nations Cup in January. So bad, Addy, bad. 
Liverpool squeeze out a 1-0 win over Southampton, but even our own Tony Barrett, no points for guessing uh, which team he has a soft swap for, uh, describes it as unconvincing. Tom, is it weird to you that Liverpool seem to do better when they play badly? Well, I think they're probably more wasteful than than, than poor against uh, Southampton. But it, it's not weird when you have a team that's trying to play expansive, um, more ambitious football and it doesn't yet have the personnel or the uh, the practice uh, to do it. it. Should be inconsistent. You know, teams that are less ambitious and more grinding will probably be more consistent. And also, yeah, Liverpool with their lack of squad depth, you know, a reliant on two men, uh, Gerrard and Suarez. So as they go, so will. Liverpool go to a large extent. And no Suarez next week, no Berlini, of course, so we find out who Liverpool's reserve centre forward is. Manchester City escaped Goodison Park with a point. Mancini has a meaningless Champions League game in midweek and United next weekend. That could be the season right there. Matt, would you play the scrubs against Borussia Dortmund and the starters on Sunday? Or is this concept kind of meaningless because sometimes we don't really know who the starters are? I don't think it will be the season on Sunday, but yeah, it's a very, very important game. They won't want to fall further behind. And another reason maybe to, to toss it in on one on Wednesday against Dortmund is to stay out of the Europa League, which um, doesn't really have much um, cash out at the biggest clubs and also can really wreak havoc with your Premier League uh, challenge sort of back in the season playing Thursday, Sunday, Thursday, Sunday. Um, so I think that would be a smart move by Mancini, yes. Or maybe not so smart because part of the reason why City always gets stuck in these very difficult groups is because well, the UEFA because, coefficient is yeah. low and that's because so, you know, that could come back to haunt you. Speaking of Everton, Davy Moyes complained about the penalty and that Fellaini foul or actually he claims a fourth official said the foul was an Osman, which would have been ridiculous. Um, now, I, I'm assuming the fourth official isn't actually insane um, and uh, was just kind of telling uh, Moisey whatever he wanted to hear just to get him uh, out of his ear. But um, what do you make of Moise's words that, um, or what do you make of Moise's contention that that was not a foul by Fellaini, which seemed pretty obvious to me, and also his suggestion that City have been, quote, getting a lot of penalties lately. Bit of conspiracy there? It was a strange thing for Moise to come out with. I mean, by any definition, that was a foul by Fellaini. Uh, but, but getting back to that thing again about, you know, the shirt pulling and the things in the penalty area, there was a referee who actually gave a foul, for goodness sake. You know, that's, what, that's what's going to happen. You commit a foul, it goes against you. I'll have to take uh, Moise's word for it about what the fourth officials told him. Um, but the right, de- the right decision was made, however way you uh, come around to actually making it. Um, City getting a lot of penalties. Got a lot of penalties recently. I don't think I saw a stat this morning that said in the last couple of seasons they've have had more penalties than any other Premier League team. But you know, they attack a lot. They get the ball in the box a lot. Um, they have benefited from a couple of dubious ones of late. I expect the one against Villa the only other week. That was a that was um, a great bone of contention. But uh, conspiracy theory? No, I don't think so. So no, you no, don't no. believe that Sheikh Mansour and the uh, Emirati Sovereign Fund have uh, secretly bought the PGM? Yeah, has he bought PGMOL? some shares in the PGMO? Yeah. No, I don't no. think so. Not quite right. yet. Just checking. Harry Redknapp has already increased QPR's points total by 50% in just two games. Tom, uh, you once, no doubt, worshipped at the uh, altar of Harry. Uh, what do you make of his job thus far? I, I sort of feel it's harsh to judge Redknapp until he's had the chance to sign uh, at least six players in, in January. Um, <laughs> It's not, he's kind of he's operating with one hand tied behind his back when he's not operating during a transfer window. Yeah, all the same, a couple of draws against uh, two of the Premier League's worst teams in Sunderland and Villa. 
uh, unfortunately represents progress for QPR, doesn't it? Uh, I'm sure they'll continue to do better under him and, uh, and get out of it uh, eventually. Uh, but it's a solid enough start, but too early to tell. Can I just point out, we've managed to go through the whole show without mentioning uh, Fernando Torres until now and Sunderland until a second ago. Sunderland who lost again. What is it now? Two wins out of the last 22 for, for Martin O'Neill. Just wanted to point that out for the record. Not picking on anyone. Matt, we've saved the best for last. Arsenal, fan protests, stinky performances. Wenger citing psychological problems, those of his players, not his own. Uh, can you sort out this mess? Um, not in 30 seconds and probably not in uh, over the rest of the season. He needs to spend some money, doesn't he? He needs to buy in some better players. There's been a steady decline in the quality of players at Arsenal over the last five years. And as a result, they've... Um, been a, been a decline in the um, amount of points they've been collecting. I still think they'll finish fourth. I still think they've, they've got enough, but they, they desperately need a centre forward. Selling Van Persie and replacing him with Giroud, Strom, Divino was never going to work, and it, and it hasn't done. I think if you look at the amount of goals Arsenal have scored, if you take out the sort of South Southampton, Spurs, and West Ham games, they're goals tally is pitiful and for all the concerns about the defending and lack of a holding player I think it's the absence of goals is the real problem there you go Arsenal fans vote of confidence from Matt Hughes fourth place uh, one for you, Gab. I didn't read your column last week. Um, sad, sad admission <laughs> part of the assistant sports editor. What's up with uh, Wesley Schneider? Well, first of all, I'm offended given that you edit my column that you didn't actually read it. Um, but uh, the well, the, the, what's going on with Schneider is that. Um, he signed this enormous contract in October of 2010 um, on the back of having led Inter to the treble and uh, a so-so Holland team to the final of the World Cup. Uh, Inter decided they want to make cutbacks and they want him to take a pay cut. He makes about 200 grand a week. They basically told him like, oh, well, you know, you can you can play another year uh, for free, basically, um, and, uh, and we won't give you any more money. And he's like, no, that's kind of stupid. I don't really want to take a 30 percent uh, wage reduction. Um, and uh, so they said, all right. Well, while you mull over our offer, you won't obviously be paying because you're unsettled by your contractual dispute, which, of course, is a one-way dispute that intercreated. Uh, the upshot of this is a meeting actually uh, on Monday as we're recording this, um, which should help determine his future. I, I think Steiner's being bullied uh, by Inter. But the interesting thing is the guy's still just 28 years old. Um, I think he's got a lot of good football uh, left in him. I, I hope that uh, you know he does take a pay cut to play elsewhere if he needs to do because I want to see him back playing. For, for a for a big team, and I also think that what Inter is doing is both stupid and counterproductive as well. That's all we've got time for this week. It's been fun. Come find us on Twitter to share your thoughts or email gamepodcast at thetimes.co.uk as so many of you do every single week. Uh, you can go to thetimes.co.uk for your news, your views, your web chats, uh, our blogs. My blog is uh, tomorrow on Tuesday. I know it's a treat for all of you. Uh, and also our analysis as well. Um, we're also all on Twitter. Tom, what's your Twitter handle? At Tom underscore Dart. At Tom underscore Dart. And that's the, the little funny line at the bottom, the underscore. It's not actually, you actually want to write out underscore because that would be uh, too long, uh, a Twitter handle. Uh, Clive, you're on there as well. You're? CWPWZ01. That's what is it? Some kind of uh, weird, like it's, not, it's phonics, man. I've got a small child. I can, you know. <laughs> there you I go. Speak now. I 
That's all we got time for. So thanks for joining us. And until next week, bye-bye.